Coming up on episode 118 of Appetite for Distortion, Billy Rowe from Jet Boy returns to the program. Also joining us, Howie Huberman. Now, Howie owned a guitar shop called Guitars R Us, sold guitars to Izzy, slash, invested money in Guns N' Roses before they were signed. Essentially, he was there for ground zero for Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 118. My name is Brando. Coming up momentarily, returning to the program, Billy Rowe from Jet Boy can update us on all things Jet Boy, including their new record, Born to Fly. And also, second guest on the show, Howie Huberman, or Huberman. We're going to find out exactly how to pronounce his name because the spelling is in question. Because if you look at the the liner notes of Appetite for Destruction, it has one B, but he spells it with two. We're going to figure it out. I mean, that aside, because it's not the important thing about Howie, what is, is that he was at ground zero, basically, for Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy. Had a guitar shop uh, called Guitars R Us, sold to, to Izzy and to Slash. Uh, he invested money early on. With GNR, I'm not quite sure the story. That's why we have him on today. We're going to find out together. But before we get to to Howie and to Billy, uh, I want to thank all of you for joining, of course, before we get into anything. Uh, AlternativeNation.net, you can find us, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Play, anywhere you find us, it is really appreciated. And, of course, on Facebook.com. Uh, you can just do a search for uh, – you can just do uh, Facebook.com slash The AFD Show or on Twitter at The AFD Show. And as Billy's going to call up in just a second, I want to read you this message that I got from Twitter, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, this is from I, – I mean, I don't know these – I mean, I, they're kind of anonymous. I, there's no picture, uh, but this person always comments on our, our Twitter. Uh, Kwick one uh, writes – this podcast is really about the guest. Even when someone in the inner circle, such as Susan Holmes McKagan, it was about her journey to publication. You give your guest a voice to talk about themselves and their project. It's not about getting to the Holy Trinity. Of course, referring to Axel Slash and Duff, which would be nice if I interviewed them. And of course, that's a, a life slash career goal. But this podcast wouldn't be as fun if they, they spoke all the time. It's about getting to know all these side characters like Billy Rowe and, and Howie. Uh, that's what it's it's all about here on Appetite for Distortion. And I guess it's, well, a little about me. I mean, because I'm your your host. You're steering this uh, this podcast night train. And I appreciate all of you putting up with my, my silly humor. So my, my silly uh, Long Island uh, Jewish humor. Don't mind him being a silly. <laughs> and, uh, you know... <laughs> I I can't help but but laughing and usually like you heard just Billy Rowe who's joining us uh, laugh 
But I, I, I only I bring it up now because you know it was recently Passover, and we're gonna uh, say to our our guest coming up, uh, Howie, is it is a Hubberman or Huberman? I forgot to ask him actually, Billy. Uh, a Hubberman, I believe. Yeah. So because on the there's a placard um, that I saw that I guess he Howie got for one million uh, cassettes and tapes sold of Appetite, and it only had one B. So it's interesting. I want to see, I want to see if what's what's behind that. Oh wow! To get your name German. spelled wrong, yeah. So we'll see about that. So uh, when Howie and I wanted to uh, re- confirm this interview that we're doing today, he's like, "Call me before four o'clock on Friday uh, because I'm going to celebrate Passover." I'm like, "Oh, it's past." See, I always have a point, Billy. Uh, I'm like, "Oh uh-huh. my God, I'm such a bad Jew. I just don't, I always need someone else to remind me." So we and I told him obviously Billy Rowe was going to co-host and he was excited about that. Uh, but today, uh-huh. as we're recording it, because it didn't matter to Howie and I, but it's Easter, so I guess Happy Easter, <laughs> Billy Rowe, because you were not of uh, the tribe. Yeah, exactly. Happy Easter, whatever, whatever you celebrate. I mean, you know, later on in life, I don't know. For me, I don't really celebrate it that much. Except sure. for a, a dinner, a dinner with the family and a hangout, you know, but. No more, no more hunting for eggs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't matter to me. I like matzah, and I'll get Cadbury eggs from uh, you know Walgreens yeah. or whatever. It's all good. Well, there you go. It's all good. But anyway, thank you for spending uh, some time uh, on your Easter Sunday, regardless of when, whether or not you're how religious you may or may not be. Uh, so, Billy, it's been a while. Um, I just looked it up as we're doing. You know, we're in the early hundreds of the episodes, and back in episode uh-huh. sixty-four, uh, we spoke and. I remember it's just been. I know you had been working on the new Jet Boy back then, and I know it, for a while. So I just want to know, you know, we waited to do the second interview because you had to, you know, right. get so many ducks in a row. So are they in a row? Uh-huh. What's going on with you? Yeah, the new album's out. Came out in January and uh, about to release the fourth video coming up in the beginning of May. And yeah, so far so good. We did the Monsters of Rock cruise, and uh, yeah, and you know, we just been like I said, I got you know, there's four, three videos out now, and we're just you know, it's like it's a lot of you know, do it yourself right now. You know, it's on Frontiers, and they're doing a great job. You know, but you know, they got a ton of stuff they put out, so there's a lot of shit we have to do on our own, which is fine. Is that the way, though, you started out? Like we spoke about our first interview, where you were telling me about all the uh, the DIY posters and things you would make. But, you know, I guess it kind of sucks that you still have to do it that way to some degree. But you're prepared I guess, for it. You know, I guess in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess, you know, even with these bigger bands, you know, the whatever classics and iconic bands, you know, a lot of ways they still do it themselves, too. You know, the, the labels are really kind of don't really exist even for bands like that. And so it's your management team or whatever team you have that kind of have to brainstorm ideas with, with the bands. I mean, you know, look at bands like Motley Crue, you know, putting out the movie and not a label or anything. It might be Netflix putting it out, but the band's super involved. And I think it's, you have more control nowadays and it's, yeah, which is, which is, I think is great, you know, instead of me sitting back hoping the label's going to do all the work, you know, you know, like they say, if you want to get it done right, do it yourself. It, it's it's funny, and I think with that same premise, uh, I wish I was as cool as you to be in a, in a rock band, but I do it with, with radio. I always approach radio like being in a band, 
so to speak, and sure. the way podcasts are, and that's why I can be creative with this appetite for distortion monstrosity, because <laughs> I would have to wait for a radio station to tell me what to do or to like me or to put me in a certain time slot or whatever. But it, mm-hmm. the creativity is back. So let me ask, speaking of Motley Crue, you know, they had their farewell tour, but with the movie sure. they did, you know, do you feel like you're talking about the video? Did you have to get creative now, I guess, like real and just do different avenues to, to get the Jet Boy name out there or to get any name out there? Like, are you thinking of different ways to promote yourself? Uh, well, there's, you know, there are different ways to promote yourself just with the way technology is today. But doing the video, I don't know. We just kind of come up with ideas that what the song kind of is telling us in a way. And, you know, lyrically with what Nick writes and stuff like that. But, <clears throat> you know, um, kind of plan it out somewhat. But then, you know, when you start getting into doing two, three, four, five videos and all that, you got to get a little more creative and you know, so we're trying to on this on this new one. The second one was like an animated one, which was cool. And, you know, then there's the performance ones. And this one's a performance one, but we threw some some other stuff in it, which is kind of, it's got a comedy effect to it, too. So, which is always fun. So You're right. And it, um, it, it just sucks not knowing what's going to stick. But as long as you're enjoying yourself and you're getting your name out there, I, I see you doing... Uh, some shows with uh, with Junkyard. We had David Roach on yep. in the past, so yeah. getting that old uh, scene cool. uh, back out there. And, and speaking of that, I guess that scene, and not to continue with, because this isn't a Molly Crew podcast, but you live that, right, the dirt? Because that was something I would hear from people that I would ask of that era, being like, I didn't watch it because I lived it. Why do I need to watch it? Did you mm-hmm. Did you see it? Yeah, I actually went to the premiere. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so tell us about that, if great. you don't mind. Uh, it was great. I mean, they were all there. It was a ton of other people there. It was, in, it was, it was at the, uh, the the Dome in Hollywood and uh, Theater, and uh, I thought it was great. I mean, it's definitely, seeing it on the big screen, it, it definitely can be a, you know, could have been a big screen movie. It was, like, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was a fan bought too fast for love on leather records when I was a kid. And, you know, just in, just in high school and I got soup. That record was amazing to me. And it's still a, a magical record, you know, and, uh, you, you know, if you find it a few years later, we were label mates with Motley Crue. We were signed to Electra and, uh, you know, watching the movie. Yeah. We, we lived our version of all that. Everybody had their own version. Sure. You know, they were a few years ahead of us, but I, you know, people could sit there and say whatever they want about the movie. I go, it's, you know, it's a movie on a band, you know, you're not going to get, <laughs> it's not going to be exactly what people have in their heads. You know, there's always the critics on it, but I thought they did a great job. I thought that the cast was great. The story was great. And, you know, I knew most of the stuff that went on and, you know, I thought they, they did a fantastic job. And, and to me, it's all it's going to do is it's going to generate a younger generation of, of kids to right. get into this kind of music. And, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Dean Del Rey, he's got a podcast, he's a comedian. Sure. He said a friend, of, a friend of his who teaches guitar said that all of a sudden after that movie, all his students came in and there was like a handful of them that wanted to learn kickstart my heart. So hmm. what does that tell you? And that's just, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And, you know, I uh-huh. hate asking this, this question now, because now I feel like I'm being cliche to who, I, who I've had on here. Because 
say an example of when I David Coverdale was on or Brian Wheat from from Tesla. Yeah, Motley Crue had uh-huh. the book out for a while, and of course we talk about it with 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 Guns and Roses. Uh, will there ever be you know a movie or anything like that? Uh, but those are bigger names, I guess. But I think about Jet Boy. And the highlighting of what the dirt did with the Sunset Strip and just how many different, like you just said it, you lived your version. How many different versions that were also going on at the same time and, you know, whether or not you would want to tell Todd Cruz's story. I mean, these are, you don't have to be a name like a Motley Crue. I mean, Jet Boy has, do you know what I mean? Like, Jet Boy has a name. Like, is there anything that you would even consider, especially you can do DIY stuff where you can put it out? You know, doesn't not even uh-huh. on Netflix. So many different options. Does that ever cross your mind? Oh to- yeah. Well, I've always I've always told the guys. I said, you know, our our story is so unique in so many ways that we came from an era that just you know we were you know we were I always said we were one of the four one of the five forefronters of our gen- genre, which is GNR Poison, Faster, Jet Boy, and LA Guns. Mm. You know that it would be a great documentary because it's a great story. You don't you don't have to have the massive success to make a great story. And exactly, you know, it, it would it would be cool. And and uh, you know, I could see some of these other bands. You know, there's a you know there was the Queen movie and there's that Elton John movie and there's so many that they can do. And you know, in the Motley movie, you know, it touched on you know pretty deeply on um, the car crash, which was mm-hmm. you know Vince and Razzle, which our bass player was the one who stayed behind at Vince's house or wherever, wherever they drove from to go get more booze to drink, you know? And I remember, you know, Sam told me that story that I think it was him and Nick Mars are the ones who stayed behind. And, you know, that rolls into the whole, that rolling into our relationship with Guns N' Roses and Todd and all that. It's just, it's just kind of, it's part of the history and just, some of the tragic stuff that happened along the way. It just, you know, it happens in life to your average person. You just, it's on Mayberry street, you know, it just yes. it happens. And it's, it, I think it's important to, you know, to, to, to your story, to jet boy story, to Todd's story that, you know, yes, we can have success uh, tales like Duff who has survived and, and slash being sober mm-hmm. for so many years, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't, the people that we lose young, it shouldn't always be Kurt Cobain. Like I, I'm fascinated. Right. I, I would, you know, a movie would be cool, like a legit movie. Uh, but to, to know about these quote unquote lesser known to maybe the public eye, not to you and I, especially mm-hmm. obviously not you. But there is a story mm-hmm. to tell, especially in our rock world. It's still happening with addiction and, and people losing their lives. And uh, you know, you can have. I think that's why I love what Motley did, that they had the humor, and then they had the real-life shit that was so bad. That was so bad, and yeah. that's why I love the book uh-huh. initially. And I I hope it happens, Billy. I mean, I, I don't know what goes—I know what goes into making a radio show. I don't know what really goes into making a a film, and but I, I hope that this kind of has like a Marvel movie effect because there are so many stories like Jet Boys to be told. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would love, I'd love, you know, I would love our story to be told and just, you know, it'd be great to see Jet Boy get to another level of, you know, maybe we won't get to where we all, the band feels we should have been back in the day, but just to get to another level of being a working band like all our friends are and getting on some bigger and better shows and just more, you know, getting recognized more for what we were a part of and what we helped create. I agree. From back then, you know, so yeah, it's you know, we'll see what happens. We, we never thought we'd be doing a new record, and 
Right, right. And you know, it's just, it's just funny how things work, you know? It is, and, and that's why I enjoy talking to you, because, I I mean, I, I would plead ignorance. I knew of Jet Boy, and, you know, when I was younger, hyper, nerding out on Guns N' Roses images and seeing those early flyers, Jet Boy headlining over uh-huh. Guns N' Roses and things like that, and it's like, whatever happened? And I know, obviously, you, you lose members in certain ways, and times change, but just seeing the resurgence... Right. And you see what the success of the dirt. People still want this music. They still want to know about this lifestyle. So it's a, uh, uh-huh. it's interesting. It could be a, like the new kind of Woodstock. And if you can't tell that I'm, I'm slowly stalling and waiting for the phone to ring for Howie because I know we're going to be joined by him. And when I mentioned to right. you, uh, Billy, that Howie was, was calling. I mean, I don't. Uh, I, I'll say it again when Howie calls up. But that you said it was ground zero for. For Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy, and then Howie was there for it. And he's just, I feel, which we'll learn about, another story that I, I, I feel privileged to be able to, to capture on a podcast, but I don't know, to get it visually mm-hmm. would be another level. Yeah, that, yeah, he goes way back, you know. I mean, he's one of the first guys I met. He was managing uh, somebody I befriended. Uh, this guy Julian Raymond, he was in a band called Bang Bang, and they were signed to Epic, and and how he was managing him, and that's kind of where I met him, and this would have been 1980, late eight, probably early '85 or something like that, mm. and you know I'm still close with Julian. He went on to become a pretty well-known producer, and <clears throat> you know through all those years, Howie was there. There was Guitars Arrest, the guitar shop that Howie and Albert owned and ran and we were all always all those guys were in there who were the guitar geeks and hanging out and uh yeah he was he he was was one of those and and what it's it's great about the the listenership of this show and you say if you want to call them because guns and roses fans but they they know so much i mean you were a suggestion uh billy uh back you know earlier in the episodes was what so was howie he was a suggestion uh, uh and, and, and mm-hmm. how you know the, these fans just know all these amazing side characters but before i mm-hmm. i certainly don't want to forget he was also a suggestion um i don't know if he's a, a friend of yours josh lewis the original guitarist for from warrant he was um, a, uh-huh. for, a former guest of the show and as a favor to to him, since he got me, uh, he set up this interview with Howie. I guess what I mentioned, he has a brand new band. I like this this name. I need a squeeze. Uh-huh. I need a squeeze. Huh. It's very. I need a squeeze. That's great. I love it. <laughs> I don't know if uh, Amanda Hug and Kiss is going to open for them, but I need a squeeze. <laughs> uh, I will at least I will put out the podcast way before the, these dates. But he wants me to mention because uh, we have listeners out in Cali, plenty. Uh, Viper Room Monday, June tenth. At nine and uh, Pal- uh, Palladios, uh, Pal- Palandinos, is that how you say it? Palandinos on uh, Tuesday. Oh, Howie's calling me uh-huh. on speakerphone. Hold on. Can I give you a another number to call? Because this is my cell. Yeah, well, the only thing is I'm driving right now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull over to do this. So give me, uh, text it to me and give me five minutes while so I'll call that number. Oh, sure. No, I appreciate that. Will do. Yeah, I just saw Howie at uh, NAM weekend. He was at our show, actually. We did a couple shows. Oh, perfect. See, this all intertwines. Mm-hmm. Six degrees of uh, GNR bacon mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So, yeah, I want to make sure I get it right for, for Josh um, Palandino's Tuesday, June 25th at 8. But uh, I like that need a squeeze. And he's somebody who, you know, just like you, Billy, that we're talking about. I mean, he was in Warrant before they got big, and he's still right. you know, doing what he, he loves. And 
He has a lot of friends that are on a quote-unquote certain level, but you know, huh. if, if the only way that I can compare it to is, yeah, there, there are the Ryan Seacrests out there. The, there are Steve Harvey. I'm not them, but yeah. I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I guess, yeah. No, I yeah. no, I do. I definitely do. <laughs> I mean, the podcasts are huge. I mean, I think they're great. There's so many out there, but they're, I listen to a ton of them, and they're all, you know, everybody interviews somebody differently. Everybody viewed things differently or had a different, you know, was impacted differently with a band or an artist or whatever. So I'm curious, well, then, uh, what do you listen to? Uh, what does Billy Rowe listen to podcasting-wise? Uh, there's a several, I mean, my, my good buddy, uh, Dean Del Rey, we grew up together, you know, he's a comedian, but he's got his let there be talk, oh. but I'll, his show's great. You know, yeah, there's like Mark Marin's Chris Jericho show, mm. Eddie Trunk, uh, Mitch LaFon. Sure. Mitchie. Um, uh, uh-huh. Mitch has been great. He's supposed to be launching an interview I did with him pretty soon here. So yeah, he's a great he's guy. Performing. And we always talk hockey. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you could talk hockey with him. Uh, <laughs> the Canadian guy, but, uh, I, I'm like a huge fan of Canadian bands and Brock. So, okay. I totally hit it off with him on that. So we like geek out on that stuff. And cool. I, I could go deep with kiss and I'm like one of those super rock and roll geeks where I could just, you know, I know all the obscure bands and stuff that I got into as a kid in the seventies, and I'm still into them. So, you know, while you we're know. this, this bring a question, and we'll see if we have time before Howie uh, calls up. Since you're such a big Kiss fan, and I know Gene and Paul, maybe Gene has said it more so that Kiss can can continue after there are no original members, and it makes me think though, with the success, it ties in with all the success of the Dirt and, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And how cover songs go so big. Classic rock is always going to be great, and that's why I think there is still mm-hmm. a market for Jet Boy and and Poison or you know Faster Pussycat. It's just a matter of people just to wake up to it. Do you do you mm-hmm. see that? Do you, can you can you picture your 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 favorite band ever continuing? I mean that's that's great that the music will continue live. That's great, I guess. You know they have, but to have you know a quote, a quote unquote official Kiss be with no original members, right? Would you want well, that? I mean, if, if any band can do it, they can do it. True. And there's some bands out there now, like Foreigner, that's hard to got any original members. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, generations later, they're not so attached to the members of the band. They didn't grow with the band from ground zero. Mm. You know, being a fan, what they're attracted to are the songs. That's and the songs point. are what will always live on. It's why you still hear Elvis and... Mm. You know, you'll never see the Beatles, but the Beatles and all of it, you know, I mean, it's just we're, we're, what brings us to what attracts us to these bands is the music. So if it helps keep the, the music alive and all that, I, I you know, right on power to it. You know, I, I hope to uh, the one day, you, I don't know if you you have ever, but play the Paramount on Long Island. It's a great venue. And I just saw a mm-hmm. um, a tribute to Abbey Road. They just played the entire album, uh-huh. and it was packed. I mean, everyone was of obviously course. there were no, yeah. you know, original. It's just a cover band, but it was they were amazing, yeah. and and everyone was acting like it was a Beatles concert because you're right, it mm-hmm. is the song. So mm-hmm. no, absolutely. I mean, tribute bands have are, have been a trend now for years, and that's what it started with, with the Beatles. Tri- Beatles, Beatles tributes, you oh, know, Sergeant the Ruddles, or whatever. Was it the Ruddles? Ruddles, well, yeah. There's a, there's a ton, and the Stones, and you know, so you could go to every city through the through America and probably find a tribute band for at least the Beatles and the Stones. That is true. You know, you're right, and people now will you go got to it, it for 
Yeah, you got them for other bands too, from Def Leppard to, to Tesla to yeah, it's insane. Cheap trick. It's just yeah, cool. A lot of time you. because they're 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 so much cheaper. <laughs> that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it just tells you what the music did. Again, it's it's all about the songs. You know, mm. people want to sing the songs. I mean, people are people are not hesitating going to see Journey with a guy from the Philippines singing. Yeah, that is that yeah. is true. Arnel Pineda, oh, which reminds me, since and this he, is a. Uh, a Guns N' Roses podcast, um, I posted it. It was a dream of mine. I'm curious of your reaction. But I had a dream uh, that uh-huh. Steve Perry started a band with Izzy Stradlin. Oh, yeah. Would yeah. you ever want to see a band with Steve Perry and Izzy Stradlin? Like, could you imagine Why that? not? I woke up and I was very disappointed that it was not real. I don't know about you, Howie, because uh-huh. I know Howie's... Uh, uh, before I, I continue, because it's misspelled somewhere. Is it Hubberman or Huberman? Forgive me. You, you can call it Hubberman because it's pronounced Hubberman. Hubber. <laughs> Thank you. And I say that because I said this to, because Billy Rowe is also on the line, Howie. You mean Billy Rowe? Howie. Howie. Yeah, right? <laughs> hey, Billy. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Long time no see since the NAMM show. I know, right? Yeah. Exactly. A couple months. I love it. And and when I, I, I told Billy, oh, before I get to... I don't want to keep jumping around too much. And thank you, Howie uh, Hubberman, for calling in so much. Because uh, I, I, when I was looking at pictures for you to promote on social media, they showed an award you got to commemorate the sale of more than a million copies of Appetite for Destruction, uh, a cassette. And they said with, with only uh, – they, they wrote it with only one B. So do, do you, do you, you're aware of that, I assume, right? Yeah, it's and, and it kept – whatever credits I got with them was always one B. I Listen – as long as I get paid back and get a couple gold and platinum records out of it, I'm a happy camper. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. I love it. Uh, so, uh, Howie Hubberman, thank you so much for, for joining the AFD show. And uh, I, get a th- I said this to Billy uh, before, but I got to thank, again, uh, Josh Lewis for, for connecting us. And he, he, I feel like he wrote uh, the intro uh, for me to say to you. He's like... He owned Guitars R Us on Sunset. He sold guitars to everybody. Slash traded That's in right. his BC Rich, uh, Rich Warlock, which my ex roadie, Josh's, uh, who later roadied for Slash, Jason Solon, forgive me if I'm not, or Salon, uh, bought and well, just auctioned off for $90,000 for his first Les Paul. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. So you're a good guy, Howie, apparently. Yeah, I'm a good guy when I sleep. <laughs> so you were not just only uh, only recommended by by uh by josh to come on by listeners knew who you were because of course you are in the liner notes even though it's misspelt of appetite for destruction i i would love to know just kind of your your story and i know billy was telling us a little bit about it and well what he when i said we were going to be on the, the phone with you he's like he well how he was at ground zero for guns N' roses and jet boy so yeah. what can you tell us about, I guess, who Howie is, your background, and, you know, what Ground Zero of GNR and Jet Boy was like? remember being on the, uh, on the outside and interpreting what I did or Vicky did or anybody else is much more glorified than how we can glorify it. But we will take it to the next level <laughs> just because I'm a shameless self-promoter, <laughs> as Billy knows. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah uh, a story... Wrapping up, going short, is I wanted to do something more than sell vintage guitars back in the early 80s. So I started out with a couple different bands. Uh, Some of the people I I worked with were from other bands. 
Uh, one of them being Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick. Another one being Julian Raymond uh, from a band called Bang Bang, who actually I met Billy through. Correct, Billy? Exactly. That, that, that's exactly it. Yep. Back in the day. And I, I'm still yeah. real close to Julian. He's in Nashville. He's doing something with a label mm-hmm. called Machine. He's, uh, he's one of the big boys out there in Nashville now, which is great because he deserves yeah. it. He's a great producer, great he's songwriter. Sure. Exactly. Yep. Doing great. So back in around 80, late 85, um, I was already doing shows with a woman named Vicki Hamilton. Sure. Uh, we were doing shows mostly on the Strip at the Roxy and the Whiskey. And we we're doing a lot of things together. We even did uh, the, the Tropicana, shows of the Tropicana, and okay. all kinds of goofy stuff. And we usually made money. She came to me with a, with a situation where she needed to get one of her investors paid back $4,000 for investing in a band called Poison. And she asked me to come out and see Poison at the Troubadour, one of their early shows. I went out there. I wasn't really impressed with Poison as far as a band or even the songwriting back at that time. But I was impressed with the crowd that they had that was Mm -hmm. really into them and how they promoted themselves. They were really great self-promoters. And I thought to myself, you know, if if I give Vicky $4,000, the most I'm going to lose is $4,000. Okay. And before you know it, $120,000 later out of my pocket, <laughs> Wow! Uh, they finally go platinum. I'm looking for my exit strategy because I'm having uh, family problems, oh. and I've already invested, eh, I thought it was 35000 but according to Vicky, it was 25000 in one of her baby bands called Guns N' Roses, and they weren't signed yet. But we were doing shows with them. They were getting better and better. The, the, the band Guns N' Roses themselves, the raw band, was one of the best raw bands at that time I ever heard for compared to mm-hmm. the individual talent that they had. They just melded as a band. And you, I know you hear this all the time saying, well, he's a good guitar player. He doesn't belong here and, and, and he's okay in this. But as a band, they're fantastic. Well, this is one of the first bands that I ever worked with that were fantastic as a band. Hmm. And even before they walked into the studio, they had a lot of their songs arranged properly and they knew how to sell it to a crowd. And I was very impressed. So where did that start for you then when you were saying you were, you had a guitar shop and selling it guitars? and when I gave Vicky the, Vicky the $4,000 for Poison. Well, even before that, because I'm curious, because we did the whole, you know, getting oh. to know, like, where did you grow up and how did you come across? Because it's like, yeah, we can have fun talking about Guns N' Roses, but I like knowing where these people came from and then where... Because there are people that could be probably relate to your upbringing and, and, and other people. I, one of our listeners who came on, we did an interview with, he owns a guitar shop in Ireland. And so there are people that could probably relate to you, and it's just crazy that your your life intersected with these bands. So I would like to know a little okay, bit more about gonna, Howie. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to give you the brief Howie Huberman synopsis as far as getting into the music business. I'll give you a little bit of background before the music business. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, preteen, my sister got for Hanukkah one year. Hanukkah, happy Passover. Yeah, happy Passover, too. Happy <laughs> Easter to everyone else, too. Uh, got a, a little silver tone guitar. Probably was 20 maybe $29 back then. I don't know. It had to be about 1962, 63. And uh, I decided to play around with it, and unfortunately, I broke the high E string. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I'm seven, maybe eight years old, and I don't want my sister to know and there's no guitar shops around there. 
House of Guitars was the first guitar shop that opened up. This was pre-House of Guitars. So I had to take a bus at age seven into areas unknown to get a guitar string. And I didn't know if a guitar string was going to cost me 50 cents or $50. But I had a couple (laughs) dollars on me, and I had 10 cents for the bus. Took it down to a music store called Shabarassi's. They charged me 10 cents for it. I didn't know how to put it on, but I guessed how to do it, put it on, and my sister never knew about it. <laughs> Weeks later, I told her I did this, and I was sorry, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, you know what? I don't even use the guitar. Why don't I just give you this guitar? So I said, okay. So I taught myself basically how to play guitar really roughly. I started taking lessons from everyone I could take lessons for. One of the guys in Rochester, I took lessons from a guy named Ethan Porter. But unfortunately, Ethan Porter was left-handed, and I'm right-handed. So some of the chords to this day, if you look how I play them, they're actually inverted because I'm guessing on how to do the fingering from a guy that's playing it the other way. Now, you think a smart guy like me would figure it out, but I didn't. And to this day, I play like my D inverted. So different fingers on different, you know, different places. But it all works out. I became a half-ass guitar player. <laughs> I decided to buy and sell guitars instead of being in bands because there was more money in it. And I started buying and selling guitars. And all of a sudden, at age 17, I opened up a guitar store, and I call it Six String Sales. Okay. And I opened up in a very inexpensive part of town. The rent for me was $2,000 for 1,000 square foot. I mean, $200 for 1,000 square foot. So it was basically... I believe, what, 20 cents a square foot for a storefront. Uh, I was there for three or four months. All rock and rollers were coming to me. One of my first customers was a guy, um, there's a band called Foreigner, which I'm sure you're familiar with. The original singer of Foreigner, his name was Louis Grammatico. He changed his name to Lou Graham. He was in a band called Black Sheep. Every week or every month he needed money, he took his brother's Marshall head, he brought it to my store, and I'd give him 100 bucks on it. And when he picked it up, he'd give me $100 back. I didn't realize you were actually supposed to make money on giving loans back then. Mm. But I used to do that all the time, especially for musician friends of mine. I wound up with a bigger store in Henrietta, which is right outside of uh, – it's in Rochester, but it's another place. The original store was at Clifford Avenue, which was Rochester. This was called Henrietta. I did real well at that store. I started becoming the first dealer for, like, Hamers, mm. Mesa Boogie. There was no other dealer from Mesa Boogie outside of Prune Music up by San Francisco. And, Bill, you're probably familiar with that because that's your area, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Absolutely. That guy, mm-hmm. I think his name was Randy. Was it Randy Smith? Richard Smith? Uh, Randy- I don't know. I don't know the name. I know the name of the store you said there. So, yeah. It used to make uh, amps for uh, Hot Tuna, for uh, Santa uh-huh. Tuna, and he used to convert fenders. He's one of the first guys to do those hoodoo guru basement fender conversions. That's basically what a Mesa Boogie was back then. Uh, now right, Mesa right. a total different entity, but back in the day, they were great amps. I was back-ordered six months. Um, got a call from him one day saying, I got good news and bad news. He goes, the bad news is 400 miles away, there's a place called Manny's, which was the big, big music store across the United States. Yeah. They placed a huge order with us. We could use the money. So we got to cut out your franchise. I go, what? <sighs> and then they go, the good news is we're sending you 10 Mesa Boogies for free. I go, whoopee. Was- <laughs> <laughs> I was there until I was 22. Uh, the people I used to sell amps, guitars, MXR innovations, and all other stuff I'd get my hands on were uh, 
everywhere from Led Zeppelin to uh, I did business with uh, Jethro Tull, the band. Uh, sure. All these English bands were getting MXR products from me. Uh, and then, you know, people from Aerosmith, and there was a, another big band out of Boston called Truth. There was the Good Rats. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, mm. Lizzie bought stuff for me when they came around. The Dead Boys were buying stuff, oh, wow. renting my PA when they were here. It was a great time. I mean, I was early 20s, and believe me, every dollar I got wasn't important to me. It's every one and every friendship I made. Um, I went yeah. to New York City, 400 miles away, to buy some vintage guitars. There was this thin, dark-haired kid with a French beret on. I looked at him, and he had a horrible list, but I was talking to him, and he said, yeah, I'm here to sell a guitar, and they don't believe it's the original finish. And I go, well, what do you got? He opens up a Firebird 3, 1963 reverse Firebird in cardinal red. It's definitely the original finish. I go, how much you want? Yeah. And this young boy named Brian goes, you know, I got to have $800. I'm not going to sell it unless I get $800. I go, you know what? I'll give you the 800 bucks. And then he looks at me and, and, and a steak at Tad's Steakhouse. <laughs> and I didn't know from New York City Tad's Steakhouse, but I figured I was in for a $20 steak, oh, which back then was a lot of money. <laughs> I go into Tad's $2.99 for steaks there, including drink. So not bad. Made a friendship with a guy, Brian. Brian turns out to be a guy named Brian Setzer. And Brian okay. Setzer was nice. flying guitars from New York City. Wow. Mohawk Airlines or Allegheny to come to us to make an extra $20. We'd pick him up at the airport. We made a great friendship. Well, fast forward to two years later, I get sick and tired of being the big fish in Rochester, New York. I want to try to be a big fish in Los Angeles because I've got promises from people from Van Halen and and uh, Grover Jackson, a bunch of people. They can, you know, work me out there. They need a guy like me out there. And, right and I had a bunch of cash. I was young, and I had a bunch of cash. So I took a, a little, uh, probably a 12-foot truck, loaded it with guitars, had two changes of clothes, had some money in my pocket, and moved out to, which I thought was supposed to be near Hollywood, a place called West Covina. <laughs> Because that's where Mark <laughs> McKee lives. Mark McKee opens up the truck, and the four people to meet me were Eddie Van Halen, George Lynch, uh, a guy named Kerry Kilgore, okay. real great guitar player, never really made it, and uh, who was the other? Oh, uh, Jimmy Bates, who at the time, if you, you if you looked at the four of them, the most talented guy was Jimmy Bates because hmm. he could play <laughs> upside down, and he could sing his ass off. He was in a band, I think it was called Stormer at the time, or something like that. Or, but he died. He died. Uh, probably died in his forties. He looked like he was sixty. He kind of looked like that guy from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Riff Raff. Riff Raff. Yeah. Riff Raff. Oh God. But he was a great, great guy. I mean, I really miss him. I, you know, he died about twenty, twenty some odd years ago. I miss mm. him. But I was supposed to go to work through the whole thing for the Van Halen camp. I wound up getting an offer. I think it was one hundred and fifty a week. And I, you know, I said, no, nah, I just can't do it. So that was my, my days left for three more years. Uh, I, I opened up a guitar shop in North Hollywood, very successful for one year, met everyone and his brother, even ordered a Howard Dumble amp from Howard Dumble, who's down the street. And I think Billy knows how much a Howard Dumble amp is. I paid yeah, 2500 exactly. brand, right. 2, brand new for one of the good uh, Dumble overdrives. Now, you know, probably some of the listeners oh. believe this, but they're $100,000. Wow. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crazy. Holy yeah, shit. Insane. <laughs> As I opened up a small guitar store off of Sunset Boulevard next to a guy named uh, Peter Baronet, who's known as Max, who's a very famous builder of Karina Woods and Les Paul's 
for famous people. He's since then retired, but not really. But I wound up representing him from 1979 on, and we're still best friends to this day. It was a 300-square-foot store, and I was meeting everyone and his brother that was famous coming in buying stuff for me. And I mean everyone and his brother. Well, all of a sudden, Tom Peterson drops in, and he's the bass player for Cheap Trick. He had quit because he started a band with his wife, and they had signed a deal with a, a small label called Enigma. Which yeah, was yeah. Out here, which I was later involved with at this time, I decided to come on board, and I found out that management uh, apparently means financer because I financed everything they did, including the rent, gave him my 57 Chevy to pay his rent at Franklin Towers at the penthouse, all this other stuff. <laughs> Until I learned a couple years later that, hey, management has nothing to do with financing. It's making the right decisions. So the band eventually has the financing. Well, I did learn that really because three and four years later, I'm still financing every band I work with and spending every last dollar. It's pretty crazy. Uh, but in 81, I did manage for a short period of time. They were called Another Language. And it was a great drive. Right. Uh, they had Bruce Gary from the Knack playing drums. Mm. They had Mimi Bettinas from the Pez Band in Chicago playing guitar. They had Julian Raymond playing bass. Julian Raymond, bass, that. yeah. He was playing like Dagmar, right, wasn't it? Tom, Tom, Tom was splitting the vocals with Dagmar and playing the, uh, his 12-string bass. Uh, Steve right. Hunter was in the band. Boy, I, I put sure. a lot of people in that band. And they released an album on Enigma, fired me immediately, and they went with their clothing designer as their uh, management because they needed more clothes. It's kind of weird, but true. <laughs> but I, on Enigma, it just so happened that through, actually three and a half years later, the biggest band on Enigma would be Poison. And the Poison, yeah. of Poison to do that would be me. And uh, it's just ironic. Also, you know, Julian had his own band called Bang Bang that I financed. Right. And they managed to fire me, too. And then they fired <laughs> Sorry. me. Sorry. Well, it happens all the time. But a year Sorry. later, I wind up with Poison. And it actually winds up in my hands as the biggest band in L.A. for a while, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of fun. Uh -huh. you know, it's amazing, how, uh, And I appreciate you're 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 such a good storyteller. You just get to every point. Not Like, every word is so... You know, it's it's just leads you right down the path. And before you came on, Billy and I were talking about you know the success of the Dirt, Bohemian Rhapsody, and but yeah, those are the big names. But there are people like Jet Boy, you know, and uh, one maybe a Todd Cruz story or or a Howie Huberman story that just yeah. just the, the few minutes we've spoken to, it's like whoa, like this. I, I can't. I, what you're telling now, I, I can't imagine what it's actually like to to live it. I, I'm sure it doesn't got, do it justice. I got tons of other lies. I mean, I got tons of other <laughs> <laughs> uh, We do have actually a question for you, uh, Howie. This is from a Gareth on, on Facebook. Uh, I guess because. Hold on, he... let, me get, let me get my baseball bat. Okay, go ahead and pitch. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess you kind of gave your first GNR introduction uh, when, with, with Vicky, Vicky Hamilton, but he wanted to know specifically about Izzy's guitars. Like, why did Izzy go to you a lot, and did you have to, anything to do with. Uh, uh, the the famous White Gibson from the Ritz was that one of yours? Yeah, it could be one of mine or one he picked up later. The the thing I remember about Izzy, the two guitars he got from us, he didn't get that much stuff. Slash got a lot more stuff, mm -hmm. and he did. Okay, too. but uh, Izzy came in and I gave him a because I like these. I gave him an early seventies Black Les Paul custom that he liked. Yeah, he may or may not have oh. to say. And I also gave him a white ES 
175, probably from the early 80s, maybe late 70s, early right. 80s. And he liked that uh, a lot. And I think he wanted to find that one from us. So. Yeah, that black custom he played all through the early years. That was like the guitar for Izzy. Yeah, and I think he only had one black custom. I don't think he had an extra one. I think that was it. No, I think that was it. That was it. Was, yeah. So is that your, and forgive me if I don't know specifically, but is that that's your credit, though, for uh, Appetite is contributing the, the instruments, correct? No, I, I, I invested in that band. I put the first 25000 into that band, and Vicky got him signed with a, uh, with with Geffen Records, I even brought him to their lawyer, who I use as my lawyer today, a guy named Peter Paterno, who Billy knows Peter. Oh, Peter. oh yeah, yeah, sure. So, anyways, uh, Peter managed to talk Vicky into selling the rights to Guns N' Roses back to Guns N' Roses for thirty five dollars, which the thirty five thousand dollars, which they owed me and her at the time, hmm. which was a great move, a great move. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, I, I kind of tried to talk her out of it, and she insisted. And uh, she actually made the statement. She said, Guns N' Roses without me wouldn't be anything. And that's always not the way to think of something. If you believe in something and you think that you're a finder and purveyor of talent, you better hope that that talent, with or without you, shines through. Other than that, you might as well be the band yourself if you got that much confidence in yourself to go ahead and do something. If you don't rely mm-hmm. on those people and bands and people along the way to help out and step stone and ladder to where you want to go, then you might as well just hang it up. And Billy, Billy can tell you that for sure. Cause he's been there, done that. And I know that's a situation that he's, you know, he's learned. Billy's a, a businessman. Yep. Right he's learned that situation. So. Yep. yep. I uh, understood completely understood. And I, uh, and I happen to agree. And it goes to what I, what I guess said, uh, miss my misinformation and, uh, I'll, I'll be transparent uh, here with our off-air conversation, Howie. There's not a lot of stuff on uh, online, and now I'm finding out a lot of it is incorrect. It's like, oh, he supported, uh, you know, uh, instruments to the album. So I- I'm glad to actually spend some time on the phone with you because it's again, it's a name that's always popped up. But anytime I try to find something about you, it happens to be something Vicky was talking about. But I rather yeah, we tried to we tried to bury all the bad stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, one of the things I did do and I was responsible for is Flash wanted to start playing. He had a BC Rich and some other stuff. He wanted to start playing Les Pauls again. So the first Les Paul he fell in love with that was at my shop is a Max guitar that was built for Steve Hunter, and it's referred to as the Hunter Burst. Hmm. Now, oh really? That That's the Hunter one. Hunter. Yeah, Steve Hunter worked for me for about a year at both stores, and uh, Steve uh, wound up trading that to me for something he wanted, and I had it real cheap. I put it on the wall, and Slash wanted it. Slash didn't have any money. Slash traded something towards something else, but he wanted that one. So what I did is I pulled the pickups out of it, because the pickups were PAFs, and the pickups at that time were worth about 150 or $200. Now they're worth about 1500 bucks each. But I pulled those out yeah. and put, like, Seymour Duncan's in, and I think Roman did that for me. I gave him the guitar on the cuff, which means without payment, for $600. And I got paid for that maybe a couple months later. But Slash needed money. It went to a pawn shop for one reason or another. He never picked it up. And it went to a guy over, I think, by, in Ohio or Idaho, around there, some, some, some area around there. And I confirmed that was the guitar. He sent me the pictures, and there's some, you know, 
Billy will tell you this because Billy knows a lot about guitars. Billy makes, by the way, great, great guitars. And now he's moved to L.A. And, and it's like, I can't believe he hasn't made one for me, sold me one, or done some business for me. But he will. <laughs> he wound up with that guitar. He loved it. And it's on the cover of, uh, oh, uh, what, 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 what's uh, Cantor's book called? Reckless Road. Right. It's one of the ones on the oh, cover. Yeah, right. And he, he played that. I think he played that one at the Ritz and stuff like that. Well, Splash was so mad that he sold so mad he sold it. And I called him up one day, and this is after Vicky was working with him. This is after they were signed. And I said, you know what? I got another Max guitar. But here's the deal. Max guitars are so popular, I paid $2,600 to Max for it. And if you want it, I'll sell it to you because you deserve it for the 2600 and you can pay me off. And I, there were, like, tears in his eyes. I gave him the guitar. He ran out the door, and he got another handmade Max guitar. Now, these Max guitars were basically uh, copies and forgeries of 59 Les Pauls. And even back then, a 59 right. Les Paul was between 30, eh, right around 30 grand for a nice one. Now these guitars are 200 to 400 grand. And even the Max copies like he had. Now, obviously, belonging to Slash, they're worth a lot of money, but the Slash copies, I'm, I sell for between twenty five dollars and $40,000. Wow. And mm-hmm. I have to up. But you've got to be specific ones, and they've got to have some good parts to them and stuff like that. Well, anyway, Slash still has that guitar, and that guitar is known as the Skull and Crossbones. Mm. Because I pointed out, in the wood, which is a two-piece maple top, flame maple top, Behind the bridge, behind the tailpiece, you can mm-hmm. see a skull and a crossbones naturally in the wood. Badass. Now, ironically, after I sold him the skull and crossbones guitar, ironically, Slash leaned in the direction, tattoo-wise and everything-wise, and even signing his name, with a skull and crossbones. I don't know if they're related, mm. but I got a sneaking suspicion Mm. that I had something to do with the skull and crossbones thing for Slash. I'm going to say you did. You may not, but I'm going to say you did. <laughs> That's pretty badass. So do you still keep it? a better story. Right on. And, and I appreciate, yeah. and we can't keep you forever, I appreciate you pulling over to the side of the road, safety first. Uh, no do, problem. Do you keep in touch with any of these, uh, you know, these GNR friends of yours? I just did something with Izzy two days ago. I can't even tell you what it is. Um and he doesn't even know I did this for him, but I did something for him. It was kind of neat. Uh, yeah, you know, Slash, every once in a while, I'll run into him like once a year, once a year and a half, or there'll be a question that pops up. And my ex-partner, uh, Albert, just sold him a, a Les Paul Sunburst not long ago, and he took a bunch oh, of wow. stuff to trade, and I kind of advised both ends of it. And uh, it, it worked out good, so instead of – him having to pay $250,000 for a guitar, he gave up a couple of guitars he got for free from Gibson that he used and maybe had to pay 100000 cash. So it, it worked out for everybody, believe me. And by the way, those guitars that Slash plays on stage that normally sell for a couple thousand dollars change hands for between fifty dollars and $75,000. Mm. The Hunter Burst has changed hands for over 120000 wow. If you were to sell the Skull and Crossbones... He could probably find a buyer for the same price as a Les Paul Sunburst. Wow, everything here is, mm-hmm. all these guitars are worth more than my life. <laughs> yeah, is... well, that, that's because he, I mean, Slash is basically one of the premier guitar players in the world yeah. right now. And there's, I, I don't know. know. Yeah. 
I don't think he's slowing down. So no, he's uh, no. he's great at marketing, and he's you know he's doing a, no. a lot. And he's well, he's one of the reasons why I decided to do a GNR podcast because people know who he is. But that's given me the opportunity to talk to Billy Rowe and Howie Huberman, which I, I truly enjoy more than uh, more than anything. But I'd be remiss, and you could t- you could say no comment because uh, you you said you're. You know, you saw Izzy. We don't see Izzy. Where's Izzy? The whole thing. Can you say how he is? Well, like, yeah, I, 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 Izzy has a, a new girlfriend who's moved in with him. He's real happy. He's in great physical condition. I mean, probably mm-hmm. better physical shape than anybody else in GNR, um, including Duff. Well, well Duff and, yeah. and Fortis. Even Fortis has. Uh, I mean, he's got a six pack. So I, if he's better than Fortis, good for him. He is in good shape. He's in good shape, and he's a very, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. I mean, you know, he doesn't, he didn't talk too much while he was with GNR. But if you sit down and have conversation, well, both Duff and Izzy, very, very intelligent, very knowledgeable about other things in life besides rock and roll, which is great. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll, rock and roll lasts forever, but being in rock and roll sometimes never lasts forever. This is true. Right. This is true. Right. Well, if Izzy ever wants to, I say this half facetiously, half of course being serious. If you ever, he can talk. He can talk about whatever you want. You can just say, uh, you can you can interview it. I can give you the uh, the microphone, Howie, and you can interview Izzy as long as it's. I, I'd love to. And he, you know what? He'd probably do it. Really? He's uh, a little aloof, but I don't blame him. You know, he's there's a lot of stuff that went down even before this tour that took some twists and turns, and a lot of people don't know about it. And I don't even know the hundred percent exact story. Because I wasn't on both sides of it, but I'm, my personal opinion is Izzy should be out there with him, having a lot of fun, sure. playing, and getting paid his, yeah. his proper share of what he deserves on the tour. Not being offered something that's less than he deserves, and that's my opinion. Exactly, and you, it, exactly, and that's fair. And and I said the same thing to to Billy when I first spoke to him, and I say this to. To you, Howie, even though I was kind of being jokey with the Izzy thing, but I got to say this to others who are afraid to come on this podcast just because of the name of it and, and, the, and the theme of this podcast. Uh, we don't have to talk about anything that he's, he wouldn't want to talk about. Like I, I, I said this to, to Billy as far as if you want to talk about Todd Crew. Like, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And I said the same thing to you, Howie. And this is just a place to get to know people. You know, I don't I don't look for the the dirt, you know, no pun intended with all the Motley Crue talk. So he, if he wanted to come on and talk about cartoons for 5 minutes, I wouldn't care. It would just be, get a chance to know the the person behind, you know, the myth. Mm-hmm. And I say, and I I say, I say that now with Izzy coming up. But I mean that in general. So that's why, you know, getting to know you and that really awesome you know, that's a cute story that you, you, you broke your, you know, you uh, seven years old, you went to go, you know, down with, with the boss, and like seven years old, I would have been too afraid just to go out in the backyard. So it's it's just very cool that that moment kind of led you down this path to be friends with Izzy, Izzy Stradlin and to do all the things that you've, you've done since. Um, and uh, since Howie, you're on the show, I want to use this analogy then to wrap up the point. I want this podcast to be considered a Guns N' Roses bar mitzvah. If anyone has been a, a, like, to a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, you, you have like a theme. Like, your, your, your kid has like a theme, whether it's like baseball or, you know, a soccer or a certain show. Mine, I think, was hockey when I was 13. Uh, right. I want this to be we all congregate here, but the theme just happens to be Guns N' Roses. But we, we get to, you know, the important stuff, which is friends, family and life. It's the theme happens to be GNR. That's it. Uh, so anyway. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I've been trying to, th- I've been thinking about that since I got off the phone with you, uh, Howie. You're like, as long as you call me to confirm before Passover, we're good. Because you're a better, <laughs> you're a better Jew than I am. So. Uh, and you're one, one thing I can say that will 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 sit with you good because I know, you know, anybody that has heroes and grows up in certain time periods, they always want to know that the people that they had faith in and belief in were as real as they could be. I can assure you that Guns N' Roses, as they were going on Geffen, recording and coming out of the studio and touring live, it was as real as a band can get, and that's why Guns N' Roses is Guns N' Roses to this day and always will be down on the record books as being a mm-hmm. real rock and roll band. And, uh, and yep. that's, that's why I love them, and that's why you know I'm so glad Jet Boy is back together. They're a real rock and roll band, and I want to talk to you, Howie. Uh, you, you, you sound such a, a real guy, and I wanted to know the, the, the person behind the misspelled name. So just thank you so much for your... Your time, and you're always welcome on. Obviously, again, you know, if if whatever Izzy wants, I'll uh, I'll uh, buy him some dinner. <laughs> but you can, you can have it every week. Let me give you an address to send the check to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I work in radio, so that might not be a very good idea. Uh, anything, Howie, that you're working on now that you may want to promote and get out there? Anyone, you know, because again, you you are a hard person to find on the internet, but you're entitled to. You're you know a private citizen. Well, Here's what I do. I, you know, I'm kind of still in the music business. Like every once in a while, I'll get a call from Julian Raymond, or I'll get a call, yeah. from, you know, on the outside from Scott Pachetta, or someone on Big Machine, or someone on Capitol, or someone that needs a guitar or whatever. But what I'm actually making the most money with in my life is I'm doing appraisals at high, not only high-end guitars, mm. but high-end collectibles, both in rock and roll and just in general. Well, that's artwork, cool. What have you? Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm busy. Like, even right now, I'm on my way to, I don't know if you ever heard of Norm's Rare Guitars. Sure, that's sure. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one of the bigger guitars. Anyways, his partner for 20-some-odd years is Dan Duran. Dan has bought about 250 high-end bottles of wine that I got doing an appraisal. Some of the wine is over $5,000 a bottle. Jesus. And I wind wow. up buying about 400 bottles of wine. I mean, some are cheap. Some are $30, $40 a bottle, which, you know, so some people it's not cheap, but that's, that's a cheaper wine. Remember, these are wine that people pay to have them in storage. So long story yeah. short is after this whole thing, I'm loading up my car with 200 bottles of fine wine, driving <laughs> out to Dan Duran's house. Badass. And all his neighbors in his little ritzy area of Northridge come down and they pay cash for these great bottles of wine. And I'm loving life because it's Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. I'm Jewish. I had my first <laughs> Easter. And I, I'm Jewish. I need the money. Hey, yes. <laughs> that's, our, that's our religion. Yes. Love it. And no one's on the road. It's great. This is a, this is a holiday for us, too. <laughs> it's fantastic. And, Billy, when I'm done with that today, if you want to run a couple great guitars out, I got some extra cash on me. Yeah, okay, that sounds like a deal. Sweet. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we, de- we definitely got to get together and, and talk guitars we were. and we were. music and all kinds of stuff, yeah. The yeah. last time I, I was out to see Billy, I actually saw Billy at a club in Orange County. Uh, That's right. One of the union shows for Jet Boy. And... Uh, there's a couple guys I used to work with, and one used to work with me. There was uh, uh, Michael Lockwood and, and Michael Lockwood, uh-huh. and uh, Joe Joe Normal or Joe uh, what's Joe's last Joe Hutchinson from a band called the Zero yeah. used to manage back in the day. Yeah, but we all had fun. Uh-huh. Uh, 
you know, I had fun because I, you know, I, I go out with all the time a girl named Kiana Dior, and she's kind of like a high-profile girl in that's always around rock and roll, and I have a lot of fun with her. In fact, Niels Lozauer, who's a great rock and roll photographer, put uh-huh. his book, and she's the only non-rock and roller in the book, but he's in love with her. She's like, Billy, I think you met her, right there, Kiana? Yeah, I met her that night, yeah. Uh-huh. For a second, yeah. Yeah, Kiana's a good friend, and I have a lot of fun hanging out with her. You know, she, she, she's become friends with uh, Johnny Five, and she's become friends with, uh, what's his name, Chad, Chad Smith from okay. the Chili Peppers. Sure. She's like the it girl around town, and I, I like having her with me because I like having an it girl with me. It's just, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this sounds like this should be a TV show, like uh, oh, what great. Kevin Smith did with the, uh, what was it, uh, Comic Book Heroes? That you... you know, I've been offered a large deal on a TV show. What what network is Channel 268 on? <laughs> it doesn't matter nowadays. That's why, like with the Netflix, what I was talking That's... to Billy about before, it doesn't matter. You know, if you have the content and you're a great storyteller, you know, uh, you're always welcome back on because I know we only kind of, you know, took a little chip off the iceberg of, of your life. And I appreciate, you know, sharing some of it. But, you know, just just keep, obviously, just keep doing what you're doing because, uh, and I hope to see, I hope to see more of you. Because for someone who's there's not a lot of info online, you have you're a real interesting character. Hey, if you get at least five phone calls saying they want to hear more of my life story and more about rock and roll in the '80s in LA, I'm willing to go on every week. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right, you guys heard it. You guys and gals heard it. Well, thank you so much, Howie, for your time. Okay, thank you, and appreciate. It. Hey, Billy, and I'll see you soon too. Right? Yes, I will. I'll, I'll give you a jingle. We'll uh, let's make a plan and meet up and hang. Very cool. Hey, be safe for the rest of the weekend. I'm out to, to sell my fine vintage bottles of wine, and then I'm going to have fun with the wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, enjoy it after you, you park. You were really great, Howie. I really do appreciate your time and, and pulling off the road, and, and just thank you so well, much. I appreciate the opportunity. I think it's a great show, and it's a great title subject. Uh, the story needs to be told by more than one pe- people. And believe me, Billy's got great stories, too. Jet Boy coming up was an amazing situation of band. I mean, I saw them so many times. I think uh, when Bridget was working with you, and even, I think, after. Yeah. And I was amazed at how much. I mean, that band was. Billy, you were probably 18 when you joined that band? Yeah. Wow. I was a kid, yeah, 17, 18 when we started, yeah. And when we started playing L.A., like 19, 20, and, you know, <laughs> way back. It was great. Way back. That's when I met you and Julian, and prior to that, that's when I met Izzy and, and Axel. One of my favorite songs. Hollywood Rose. One of my favorite songs on the strip of all time is that song, Bad Disease. Oh, yeah, that, I know. Classic. I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's why we had Billy on for a second time because uh, it's, it's it is a great story and you know this it's just a uh, GNR is a you know a jumping off point to get to know these you know yeah we want I guess we also we do want to know about Guns N' Roses but to know about Howie Hubberman to know about Billy Rowe and Jet Boy it's it's just awesome and so I, I appreciate you both of you giving me uh, the time and, and sharing your stories to to me and my listeners it's, it really is appreciated. And incidentally, in in uh, in six, no, actually five days from today, I'm celebrating my 64th birthday. And uh, I, in my head, I'm listening to the Beatles, Beatles. Song every hour on the hour when I'm 64. I was hoping you were going to yeah, say that right on. Awesome. Love it.
Uh, thank it's you. And fun. and and Billy, do you have any uh, dates uh, coming? Like, what do you like? What's uh, right now going for? I know you said you're working on the video, but uh, what can we look forward to? Dates or uh, else? yeah, we're doing the Viper Room coming up on uh, May 31st. So okay, cool. How how are you going to come out to that one? And then uh, probably I think we're going to do like a Vegas show and and somewhere else do like a weekend run. So. Vegas is where it's at. A lot of people are going to Vegas now, even, uh, you know, aside from yeah. Britney Spears. Who... Really? Are you playing Vamped? Uh, I don't know. I think we might be. Yeah, we've done Vamped before. That's a great little venue. Yeah, I was just there with uh, with uh, Warlock, with Dorapash, just a couple of days ago. They played there. Oh, okay, yeah. I think I think they just played the whiskey, too, didn't they, Dora? They did with, with Metal Church. Yeah, Metal Church and them. And I think they awesome. did the House of Blues. Right. Yeah, I I went to Vegas to do it. I, I figured I'd fly in and fly out. It's it's it's, it's right. my my treat to myself to go to Vegas for a sure. Day. Yeah, exactly. Right, not that far. Bill, uh, Billy Rowe, I mean, you're obviously uh, want to come back on again for a third time or whatever you want. Well, you you said you will. Uh, we, you're gonna bring on uh, Mick Cripps, right next time, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll get Mick Cripps on the show. He's got some stories. Sweet, sweet storyteller. Very cool, and uh, and Howie, just again, thank you so much. And uh, hey, you know, thanks guys for having me. I'm enjoy Passover. <laughs> if you guys ever need anything, you both have my cell phone number. Just give me a call. Just don't share yeah. it with any listeners unless they want to call me and say how great it was to listen to my BS online. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'll get you some customers. We'll see. Okay, let me give a shout out to Kiana Dior because I know she'll be listening to this when it comes out, because I'm going to make her listen to it. Hmm. And everyone else I work with out there and have worked with, and, you know, all's forgiven, forgive me, and it's just uh, rock and roll. It is just rock and roll. Thank you both so much. Enjoy your Sundays. Happy right Easter. On. Happy Passover. See ya. All right. Bye, guys. Very cool. I love having co-hosts that were there, that were in the thick of it. You know, I, I, I want more of you to volunteer to co-host episodes. I love having listener co-hosts to to be able to provide uh, that experience uh, to my listeners, I think is something very special. But uh, to have someone like Billy, who's in Jet Boy, yeah, we did some interviewing at the beginning, but to kind of play co-host with Howie and it not just so much be a question and answer, but just two friends reminisce, like just live in front of us, so to speak. So I think that's pretty badass. And another opportunity that you have given us, that you have given me uh, to do, because without listeners, I wouldn't be doing it. I'm not certainly not doing this for my health. I'm doing it because you make it fun. So what is on the way uh, for Appetite for Distortion? Well, I can tell you, I think it's probably going to be next episode, East Bay Ray from the Dead Kennedys, the legendary Dead, get dead Kennedys, so that's pretty cool. And as far as other guests, best way to keep in contact, or to keep track, rather, is on Facebook or on Twitter. Just do a search for Appetite for Distortion uh, with Brando on, on, on Facebook and or on Twitter uh, at the AFD Show, and you'll, you'll find out what's coming up next. So when will you see the next episode? Ah, well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, if as soon as the word. security, I'm going home.